comes very loudly to us from the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, the first chapter, or as always, it's printed on the cover of your bulletin. As you're able, if you would, please stand in honor of the reading of the Gospel. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but he had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. Now, dear Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. It was hard to be Joseph. That's not me saying that. Dave Barry said that. Some of you have read Dave Barry. Uh, if you've not, you should. He will make you laugh. He was a prize-winning columnist at the Miami Herald, has written I don't know how many books, all of which are hilarious. He said it was hard to be Joseph. He wasn't talking about Joseph in Bethlehem, however. He was talking about being Joseph in the Christmas pageant at St. Stephen's Episcopal Church in New York where he was a kid. He said all the children were recruited to be in their Christmas show. He said as a young boy, you started off as a shepherd. He said they gave you a staff. It was his favorite role because the shepherds didn't really enter the story and didn't come on stage till the end. So for most of the play, they got to be backstage having sword fights with their shepherd staffs. So he liked that part. He said, but on occasion, you'd get promoted to wise man. And he said, that role was not quite as much fun because as a wise man, they expect you to come out on stage and act, what's the word? Wise, right. And he said, what young boy wants to do that? So he didn't really like the idea of being a wise man. But he said the hardest role was Joseph because Joseph, he said, had to spend the entire play standing right by Mary, who more often than not was played by a girl. And nobody really wanted to do that. And he said, to make matters worse, you had all the shepherds and all the wise men teasing you 
saying, we know you really like her. We know you really like her. And so he said, and this is a quote, so during the pageant, Joseph tended to maintain the maximum allowable distance from Mary, as though she were carrying some kind of fatal bacteria. It was hard to be Joseph, he said. But there were also probably times for Joseph in Bethlehem, it was hard. You know his story well. We talk about it this time every year. He was engaged to Mary. Now, engagements in Joseph's day were very different than in our day. Today, you want to be engaged. Someone proposes, will you marry me? Some people do that privately. Some people choose to do that very publicly. I've been at ball games where it appeared up on the big scoreboard. So-and-so, will you marry me? And then they put them on camera. And the guy really hopes the young lady says yes, because everybody's watching. The most public proposal I have ever seen was Thanksgiving Day, 1985. Ahmad Rashad was doing pregame for the Lions and the Jets, the Thanksgiving Day football game. He had been dating, and they were both public figures, and everybody knew. He had been dating Felicia Allen, who was Claire Huxtable on The Cosby Show. And so, during pregame, wherever she was, they put her on camera. uh, And on camera, before a national television audience, he asked her to marry him. Now, she had this wonderful smile. If you ever saw her, her smile could light up a room. That day, it was very tight-lipped. On national television, as he proposed, she said, Why, yes, of course, I'll marry you. Thank you. They're divorced now, by the way. Uh, But in Joseph's day, things were different. There were no big grand proposals. There were arrangements. Families would say, your child will be married to our child. They would enter into a formal engagement period, which was legally binding. The only way you could get out of it was obtain obtain a legal certificate of divorce. Other than that, it wasn't just a matter of giving the ring back. You were committed without a legal divorce. Well, things are going along well until one day Mary comes to Joseph and says, I have news. I have good news. And he's like, well, I love good news. What is it? She says, I'm expecting a baby. And he's like, and that's good news for who? And I'm sure there was this conversation that didn't make it in scripture where she said, it's okay, it's not another man's baby. God told me, gave me this dream, and the Holy Spirit has conceived this baby. It's all going to be great. Uh, But apparently Joseph wasn't quite convinced because he decided to get as far away from that as possible. And he had options. He could have divorced, he could have had her put to death. book of Deuteronomy said... He could have had her stoned to death. Or he could have divorced her in a very public way. He could have gone to his friends and said, have you heard about Mary? What are you going to do? Well, of course I'm going to divorce her. I could go all Deuteronomy on her, but I've decided I'm going to be a nice guy. I'm not going to go that far. I'll just divorce her. But he didn't even do that. He took the kindest option available. He decided to divorce her quietly to save her from public disgrace. And it says, because Joseph was a righteous man. 
So that's something we know about Joseph. He was a righteous man, a godly man, a man of faith. But we know more. After that, Joseph had his own dream. And the angel appears to Joseph and says those words you know, Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. For the child shall be born, and you will give him the name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. Had I woken up from that dream, I would have said, what did I eat last night? Joseph woke up from that dream and obeyed. For me, one of the most radical acts of obedience in all of Scripture, in the midst of all of that, he simply obeyed and married Mary. He was righteous. He was obedient. Joseph, I do believe, became just a man at peace. Peace is the theme for the second Sunday of Advent. Last week we talked about hope. Today we think on peace. Peace that came to Joseph at a time that seemed most unlikely. After all, Joseph did not live in a peaceful world. He lived as an Israelite in Palestine under Roman oppression. Brutal Roman oppression. If, they, if you were not doing what the Romans wanted... They could threaten you with violence. They could commit violence. They could threaten you with death. They could take your life. That's how they kept you in line. Joseph's world was not peaceful. You could argue Joseph's personal life didn't really look peaceful. After all, you look at that whole, my wife is about to have a baby that's not mine kind of thing. Uh, And yet, Joseph found peace. Peace that today seems so elusive for people. I mean, maybe your life is at perfect peace. If so, God bless you. Not everybody's is. If you want to find somebody whose life is not peaceful, go to the store in December. Their stores are filled with people whose lives are not peaceful. Turns out you didn't even have to wait till December. I found it in November, Thanksgiving Day. The day that we pause and give thanks for all our blessings, right? We are having a big family dinner. Uh, with Susan's family. Her mother needed some eggs. So uh, my brother-in-law was going to take his young son, three years old, go get eggs. I said, I'll ride along. So as we get there, he says, do you mind going in? That way I don't have to get him out of the car seat. I said, no problem. He said, do you need money? I said, I got it, no sweat. So they stayed in the car. I go in, I get the eggs. I get in line and I reach for my money and I realize it's at the house. I have no money. So I put my eggs down. I go running outside where the car is still parked. I said, okay, just kidding. I need money after all. So he gives me money. I come back in and I grab my eggs. And a couple of guys had gotten in line in the 30 seconds I was gone. So I go to get in line behind them. And one of them saw me pick up the eggs from right there. And he said, were you in line? I said, I was, but I had to step out. And he said, well, here, you just got one thing. Come on. I said, no, that's okay. And they insisted, so I got back in line. And slowly but surely, the line is moving along. And pretty, sure, pretty soon, I'm next in line, but there's a long line behind me. And at that point, a clerk comes up to the next register and opens up. And he says, I'll take the next person in line. Well, that was me. But I turned to the guys behind me who had been so polite. And I said, y'all go ahead. I'm fine. And they said, no, no, you go. You're next. And I said, no, no, I'm good. 
y'all go. So while we're having this conversation, somewhere on aisle 14 is a woman whose cart is filled, whose radar went off, and came flying up out of nowhere to the open register, like Roosevelt charging San Juan Hill. She was out of nowhere, and then there she is. And the manager witnessed this, and he walks over, and he says, ma'am, and he nods towards me, and he said, we usually take the next person in line. And it's Thanksgiving Day, and in the spirit of Thanksgiving, and in the spirit of love, she says, well, he didn't move fast enough, did he? She struck me as someone who was not quite at peace with life. You know what I mean? You don't have to look far to find people that are just not at peace. Some people you don't understand, but, but some people, in all honesty, you do. I've been following this story out of Gatlinburg. You know, there are fires everywhere. Michael Reed, this man, was with his son away from home. Apparently his wife and his two girls were at the house. The house was burned in the fire, and for days he's been searching for his family. And I read this morning at 6 o'clock, they'd found his wife's body. Awful. Painful. Tragic. How do you find peace in a situation like that? And you know people who just have suffered tragedy. And our world around us, like Joseph's, was not peaceful. The world around us is not particularly peaceful. I read a couple of weeks ago, do you know how many people have died in Syria over the last three years? Three years. 200,000 people. Awful. Awful. Closer to home. Uh, Fire recently, a day or two ago in Oakland, took lives. People walk into schools, colleges, theaters, stores, open fire. The world around us is not peaceful. Joseph's life world was not peaceful. And yet Joseph found peace. I think he found peace in his faith and through obedience. And you say, well, that sounds really good coming from the Bible, but does it work in real life? I remember meeting a guy that was not in a particularly peaceful situation. As a matter of fact, we were in the middle of a war zone. It was spring of 2003. We were in Baghdad, beginning of the war in Iraq. It was early in the morning. I was in a commander's briefing. And a chaplain assistant came in, looked at me and said, Sir, we need you. I looked at my commander, who was a uh, good friend and good guy, and he just nodded for me to do whatever I needed to do. So I left and hopped in a vehicle with a chaplain assistant. And I said, okay, Carlos, what's going on? He said, it's 1-1 Cav, sir. The first of the first cavalry was stationed near us. Their chaplain, Todd Kepley, was a good friend of mine. Todd was uh, on leave somewhere. And I had said I would cover if they needed a chaplain. So they had called. So I asked Carlos, I said, what's going on? He said, they've got a kid with an M16, sir, locked and loaded, making all kinds of wild threats. So I started praying. I didn't know the young man's situation. I didn't know what was going on, but I prayed for the people that were already there. I prayed for this young man. I prayed that when I got there, God would give me the words that were necessary. 
And then I ask, as I'm picturing the scene in my mind, I ask Carlos a question. I said, so how are they going to get the weapon away from the kid, Carlos? And he said, he gave me an answer I will never forget. He said, well, they're hoping you're going to do that, sir. <laughs> well, of course they are, because I'm the unarmed chaplain. You know, so that makes sense. And so I got there, and sure enough, this fella, he was a newlywed, married, moved his wife to Germany, and then almost immediately deployed to Iraq. She couldn't handle the separation, not just from him, but also from her family that was across an ocean. She felt all alone. Uh, she was young. She wasn't used to any of this. She just decided she couldn't take it, so she had told him she was going to leave him and go back home. He said, I can't lose her. He felt like his life was falling apart. In time, he did hand over the weapon, calm down. The short version of the rest of the story is we got him emergency leave and sent him back to Germany, got them emergency counseling with a, with a counselor back there, a chaplain back there. And in the midst of that time, while he was on leave, both he and his young wife gave their lives to Christ. They decided, after things calmed down, they had made a commitment to one another. She understood he had made a commitment to the army, and they had now made this commitment to Christ together, and that it was important to live those out. So they got her a better support network, and he came back and finished out his tour as a changed young man. The world around him didn't seem peaceful at all, but God gave him this peace. You look at Joseph's world and life and you think, how could he be peaceful? But he was. Faith and obedience. Knowing that he was waiting for the baby, the Christ child that was going to come and would be called the Prince of Peace. Would grow up and say to his followers and to you and to me, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. That's the child on which Joseph was waiting. That's the knowledge that gave him peace. Peace that worked for my young friend. Peace that's offered for you. And peace that's offered to me. Peace that's summed up in the second verse of a little town of Bethlehem. For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above. While mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wondering love. O morning stars together proclaim the holy birth and praises sing to God the King and peace to all on earth. Amen.